Hey guys, Steph here and welcome to another episode of The Why Show, where it's my job to have a wide-ranging conversation with our guests to uncover their unconventional life paths by delving into their passions, purpose, and philosophy of life. Today I have a very special guest, Alefia Master. In today's episode, you're going to listen to the power of sharing your own story, developing confidence not being afraid to pursue an unconventional path, some of the biggest mistakes she made at the beginning, and many other very interesting things that, by listening, you can apply to your own life. This was one of the most interesting conversations that I've had, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, Alethea. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stefano. It's so nice to meet you. Um, and thank you for having me on the show. Of course. I am so excited for today's episode. I am actually very interested in the work you've been doing at MadLearn, M-A-D, for people that are listening. So uh, I'm really excited to, to be able to talk to you. So thank you for, for being here. It's my pleasure to be here today. I'm, I'm so glad that we connected. Yeah, great. So before we get started, I want to introduce you to everyone listening. So Alefia Master is the founder and CEO of the award-winning app development program, MadLearn. She believes that enabling students to have career choices driven by their passions should be a key focus for all educational institutions. As a young minority female educator, she was able to found and grow two ad tech companies that now reach more than 40,000 students in 30 states in five countries. That's pretty impressive. She believes that since we don't know what jobs are going to be available 10 years from now, we have to teach kids how to create their own. Her degree in psychology and education from Emory, along with her training and experience as a Montessori teacher, fuels her interest in wide-scale education improvement. So let me get started by asking you to, can you just share with us more about your story according to you? Sure, happy to. Um, so my my educational journey actually starts in the first grade, and I say that not as a student, but as a teacher. Um, my first grade teacher was the first one to say, hey, you're really good at spelling. I want you to take these three kids and teach them how to spell these words. So that was my first experience mentoring or teaching other kids, um, and I realized that I, I loved it, and I loved being an educator um, as a young first grader, and then, of course, as I I um, grew through school and high school and then college. Um, I actually was born in the United States, but then my family decided to move us halfway across the world back to India, which is where we're originally from, uh, when I was eight years old. So I had early childhood education in the US. I had middle school and high school in India, very different systems of education, very different uh, classroom experiences. And I learned a lot. It taught me so many different things. And um, when I came back here, 
here to Atlanta, to Emory to go to college, I knew that I wanted to be involved in education in one way or another. And luckily at the time we had a great education program um, that I was able to avail of. So I, um, I did that. I got my teaching degree. I taught for many years. And then I decided to step out of the classroom and work on starting a company. And so I, I drank some crazy Kool-Aid. I don't know what it was, um, <laughs> but uh, I had a problem as a teacher in the classroom and I wanted to try and figure out a solution that could help not just me, but hundreds and, and thousands of other teachers like me. And at the time, the problem was one that I I felt strongly, and it was parent communication and engagement, and trying to make sure parents know when conferences are and and when uh, when the game is. And uh, we were doing you know old school Yahoo groups and bulletin boards and pieces of paper in the backpacks, and that just wasn't working. Parents were on their phones, and we weren't using our phones to connect with them. So the idea that I had back then was, um, hey, if everyone has an app and all these businesses. Have have an app for themselves. Why can't my school have an app? Um, and let's figure out a way to make an app for my school that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. 10 years ago, no school had their own app. Today, a lot of schools do, which is good. Um, but that's really where my entrepreneurial journey began. And um, several years into that, I realized my heart was not on the operational side of education. It was on the instructional side of education. And so we took what we learned building apps and we said, let's figure out how to teach the students how to do this and engage them with not just consuming the apps, but building it. So, um, and yeah, that's the idea been... of Mad Learn then, like teaching students to like create and like ideate and like go through like the design phase and uh, basically build an app, right? Absolutely. That is exactly what MadLearn is. And MAD stands for mobile app development. And we're teaching kids how to build and launch their own apps, how to see it on their phone instantly, engage with their phone in a different way rather than just using it, consuming it, playing on it. Let's create something that solves a problem and that's meaningful and helpful. That is so cool. Uh, thanks for sharing. I actually think like not a lot of people like end up graduating and then going for the career that, you know, is going to be like, their passion or it's something that they're like super excited about. Usually people end up going for more traditional uh, careers that are maybe more safe or pays better or there's some sort of prestige. So I actually want to segue into understanding a little bit more about what your understanding of passion is for your students. So in in your uh, in your website, you, you describe a mad learn as like a way to enable students to have career choices driven by their passions, right? So I was wondering, like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, so um, the biggest way that we do that is we get kids exposed to everything. Um, and that is really, and when I say kids, we work with elementary students, middle school students, high school students as well. But a lot of times, once you get to high school, it's too late. You already have a concept of, of what you think you can do or can't do. Um, right. So we really want to expose students to the possibility of trying everything. And in our case, it's developing an app, but not just the coding aspect of it. It's the ideation and brainstorming and thinking through things. It's collaborating. It's planning it out. It's designing it. Um, of course, building it or coding it, either no code or with code, um, testing it, pitching it, talking about it, raising money for it, all of these different steps that we have that are involved in the process that help students realize um, 
here's something that I'm good at, or I'm really excited about, or I kind of really don't like that part. And I don't want to do that. But this part I like, let me do that more. Um, and our situation and our example is, of course, with building an app and using that as a hook, because we know kids love their phones. Um, but this applies to anything. I mean, the only way for an individual to figure out what they really like and don't like is to try everything. And that's one of the biggest entrepreneurial lessons that I have learned. Um, you have to try everything. You never know what you're going to like or not like or be good at or not be good at unless you give it a shot. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. I actually think this idea of like experimental learning is something that I think have like people have been talking about it for like a long time now. But when we actually see like the schools and like education system, like I feel like it's it's not that easy to see, you know, people really applying it, right? Like, what is your understanding? Like, how would you maybe think about what would the ideal school be like for you if you if you were to like redesign the the whole the whole system? I know it's probably like a very broad question, but like I, I'm interested from like all your educational like expertise. If you have like some lessons that you learned by teaching, you know, kids in 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 maybe like how would the ideal you know design be for for the courses and for for their learning that is such a big question um and i am definitely biased because i am a montessori child i'm a montessori teacher i love the montessori pedagogy of um, education. So I think that there's a lot of power. And for those of us not familiar with Montessori, it really is a student interest driven um, system of education. So for example, in a young primary classroom where it might be three to six year old kids, you might have 50 different activities on the shelf in different parts of the classroom and students come in in the morning and they pick an activity that they want to start with, either with themselves or with a partner, um, and they are choosing something that they want to do that morning or that afternoon. It's not a teacher standing at the front of the class and doing the same thing with all kids. That type of learning doesn't work for most kids. And so um, the individualized experiential learning is very powerful. So if I had to, if I had to envision a perfect school or a school that I think would be really great, and one day maybe I'll open a school like this, it would be based heavily on the Montessori uh, philosophy and bringing in, as opposed to subjects and tests, um, which really don't don't make a whole lot of sense in the real world and preparing students for life after school. Um, what I would love to see happen, and this does happen in a lot of really, really great schools around the country, um, is project project-based learning and figuring out problems that exist in your community and how you can create ideas and solutions to help solve those problems. And in the along the way, you're researching, you're learning, you're reading, you're writing, you're, you're building, you're collaborating, you're doing all of those things with a purpose, as opposed to just because you have to take a test. Um, and I think a lot of the things that students need to learn or should learn can be addressed in that way. But um, very, very open, very individually driven. Um, again, that really helps with student passions and interests and guiding them towards doing things that they want to be doing. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Um, can you share more about what were some, what were like the biggest mistakes that you made at the beginning of your career? Like you, you found like two ad techs that were very successful and still are right. 
uh, like over like 40,000 students. That's like, that's very impressive. Like, I'm sure that there are like some really good stories that you can share with us about like some big mistakes, things that you wish you had done different or things that just like you carry with you today. Oh, gosh, <laughs> such a long <laughs> list. Um, I am always making mistakes and hopefully always learning from them. So um, so that is an ongoing process. I will say early on, um, one of the things that and this was a very much a personal um, growth uh, that had to happen. But I, the first company I started, I was 25 years old and it, I was knocking on doors and talking to schools and trying to sell them, uh, something that we didn't really have ready. Um, and I know it was really hard for me to get anybody to take me seriously. And I thought at the time it was because I was young or it was because I was a woman or because a lot of other different reasons. Um, and it might have been that might have been the case. But I think now, uh, you know, fast forward 10 years, I'm still young. I'm still a millennial. I'm still a woman. I'm still a minority. All of those things are still true. But when I walk into a room and I'm able to talk to people, there's a different level of um, confidence that I have. And so a lot of times we have these stereotypes of ourselves that play into how we interact with other people. Um, and I think early on in my career, I... I felt like I was not able to talk to the people that I needed to talk to or change their minds the, the way I needed to change their minds because I was young. And I don't think it was necessarily that. I think it, it in, in retrospect, it was because I didn't, hadn't figured it out yet. Um, right. And we as a team had not figured out what our product was and what we we're going to offer. And so that, that was definitely a piece of um, growth that I had to go through. Another thing that I realized in a big lesson learned when raising money and trying to find investment and investors for our company, you have to really, really, really um, look for investors that see who you are, who what your passion is and vision is. Um, and of course, help you fill gaps with skills that you have and don't have. Um, early on, I learned I learned that it's not just getting money, and just getting money is is uh, of course a good thing. But you can get strategic money, or you can get uh, money that could potentially hinder uh, your growth and progress if your investors don't um, understand or don't stand behind what you're doing. So that's that's definitely a, a big one. Um, another one I'll share is. Uh, team and people and learning how to hire the right people, how to retain the right people on your team and create a culture that um, is fun for you and for your team. And that took a lot of years to figure out. I was not a good CEO 10 years ago. Um, even five years ago, I would venture to say I was not a good CEO. Um, I think- I guess that, just for you having that self-awareness of like not being a good CEO, already kind of makes you a good CEO because you're like, you're probably always like eager to learn with like your mistakes. So that's, that's nice. Thank you. You're, you're sweet to say that it, uh, it, it is a learning process for sure. But I think that we realize in the team that we have now, we're a phenomenal group of people that um, we've learned so much together and we've, you know, we figured out what works for us, what doesn't work for us, but we have a very open culture and everyone knows everything that's happening in the business and we're able to problem solve together as opposed to in isolation. And so um, that has taken, you know, the sort of the, the flat organization has taken a long while uh, for us to figure out, but that's, that's the kind of um, team that we are. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, but I want to touch on 
the idea of finding investors that have different skills than what you than uh, the skills that you have, right? And I want to go back to what we were talking about before. Um, so making career choices driven by passions, right? So I was actually recently reading this book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. I'm not sure if you've um, heard about it, but the book is basically, uh, the whole idea is like the the author who's called Newport, he talks about the idea that mastery should be should come first and then you should develop your passion. So basically he sort of debunks this long held belief that follow your passion is like a good advice. And he says that like passions have little to do with how much people end up loving their work, but it can also be sort of dangerous, leading to anxiety sometimes and like chronic job hopping, which we sometimes see people doing as well. And mm -hmm. he continues to say like in, in the book, one of his arguments is that whether you love your work or not is mostly based on your experience and your expertise. And that's why I wanted to bring this up because you mentioned the skills, right? So he, he, he argues that like these skills, they show you in a way the true, the true path to work um, you love lies in, in becoming a craftsman of the work you already have. So basically you do that by collecting these rare skills and taking control of your hours and what you do with it. And ultimately he says that all these skills and like things you do is uh, what he calls the career capital. So I was curious to know, like from your experience, what would you say is like, or are your career capitals, right? Yeah, good question. And I, and I wanted to go back to um, his premise for, for the book, which I, I think there's definitely value there, right? There's absolutely something to be said about, um, constantly trying to find something and not not figuring out or not being happy where you are. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not an advocate for passion without skill or without learned experience. Um, I'm an advocate for figuring out the intersection between the skills and the abilities that you have and the interests and the passions that you have. And there's absolutely an intersection that exists for everyone. Um, it is a matter of figuring that out. And um, I think when you can do that, and when, if you can, if you can do that in a, and it's an ongoing process, right? I haven't fully figured this out. So it, it, you know, it's not a one and done thing. Um, today, I'm, I know that I'm involved with MadLearn and I'm leading this great team and we're doing all of this work. That might be something else tomorrow, right? I know that I love education and I want to be involved in education, but you know that could look like something very different five years from now, or ten years, or twenty years from now. So keeping that open mind, but also knowing certain anchors that you have, and I think that's that's what you asked me about with career capital. Um, one of the anchors that I have is my drive for ensuring that students can have all of the experiences possible. Um, to figure out, figure out what they like, what they don't like, right? Um, we right. cannot say this group of kids is not good at this if we don't let them try it and let them experience it and expose it. And unfortunately, that happens a lot, right? You know, just looking at the tech industry, we see there's a much larger proportion of men than women, um, you know, in, in technology. There's a much larger proportion 
proportion of white people than people people of color. There's you know there's all these differences that we see, but we need to expose all of our kids to these opportunities and help them figure out what what makes sense and what they're good at. So that's one of my anchors is education and knowing that the school and the school system and the school building, the teacher is such an important part of a student's life. Um, and how can we encourage that in different ways? So, so that's one of my anchors. Another one of my anchors is um, my my ability, you know, you talked about career capital, my ability to share my story and the lessons that we're learning along the way um, and help help that change somebody's mind in one way or another, or have a light bulb go off or have an eye opened in a different way because they're hearing my voice. There's a lot of people like me in the world, but there's not enough people that are sharing their story and that are being willing to be vulnerable or exposed or um, embarrassed even by the, the reality of their life. And so, um, that is something that I know I enjoy doing. It brings me energy. Um, and, and I have been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to speak with hundreds and thousands of students, of teachers and at conferences and keynote events, um, and be able to share that and, and brainstorm some of those ideas with people. Um, another one is uh, individually, and this is more an individual, not necessarily related to MadLearn, but um, an individual um student outreach that we have a, an internship program that we have at our company, but also a lot of students that will reach out to me and say, Hey, I have this idea and I want to become an entrepreneur. How do I, how do I do that? Um, so guiding other either students or entrepreneurs on um, not here's how you do it because there is no recipe for that, but here's right. some of the things that I've learned and that we've learned along the way. And maybe that can help you. Um, so I do yeah. have a lot of conversations with other um, entrepreneurs who are maybe just starting out or, or a couple years into their businesses um, or students thinking of, of that journey for themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned that sort of intersection between the, the your interests, right, your passion and also your skills, right? And I would say I was actually, I had a class last semester. It, the name of the class was ideation, actually. So it kind of goes uh, interestingly with the one of the, the steps in the mad learn process right so and in that class we learned that like passion and skills combined uh give you your purpose right so it would be a, another way to put it and it. very very cool the way you, you mentioned like uh developing skills by exposure by just like trial and error i think it's 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 very awesome um i want to segue into understanding a little bit more about some of the main like interesting things or lessons you learned with the kids right with or about you know the kids like how is their learning process what is like things that work with them what doesn't work i will say um the biggest thing that i have seen in our work with students all over the years is if investors and entrepreneurs and vcs and angel investors, if they all listened to the ideas that kids have, we would be solving a lot more of the problems that we have in our world and a lot quicker. Kids have the best ideas. They are fearless, especially the younger they are. They're fearless with um 
thinking about anything in any way um, and thinking outside the box and creatively. And so when we challenge in that ideation part of our process, we will challenge the kids to come up with an idea for an app that they would like to build. And the ideas that we have seen come out of a five minute brainstorming session will will blow your mind. Um, so yeah, that's for some I- reason, that doesn't surprise me at all, because when you think about like kids, just like students at a very early like age, uh, they're usually also very naive in the sense that like they don't have like the society's expectations and like the sort of like box even that they're like put into, right? Like I feel like when you, I'd say like I, I'm in the business school, so I can say that. Like when you go to the business school, you're like, I feel like your your, your thoughts, they kind of become trapped in a way because there's like, oh, there are there's like the the right choices that you can make for your career or like the best choices. And like, we just try to like put, you know, almost like numbers to things that are not like mathematically uh, obvious. Right. So it's, it's very cool that you, that you have that thought as well. Yeah, no. And, and I, I completely agree with you. I think the older we get, the more we build these boxes around ourselves, and we feel like we have to stay safe in these boxes. Um, That's part of the challenge for adults is to, to learn how to break out of that on a consistent basis and be uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it really is about being uncomfortable. Um, we've all seen that image of like, you know, this bubble and here you are in the middle of the bubble and here's your comfort zone, but the magic happens way out there. Um, and so we have to find the magic. So that's one thing for sure that we have always seen. Um, another thing, and this is actually a teacher, um, a teacher observation, teachers are phenomenal, phenomenal human beings. And unfortunately, right now, teachers are really struggling and they have been for several years. Um, COVID has been hard on everybody um, in different ways, but teachers are really at a breaking point where um, there's, you know, politics and all of these things um, that are combining to create this very difficult environment in school. And what we have seen is the persistence and the, the, really, truly just just hardcore dedication to figuring out how to help their students. And if it's a teacher that is has not a whole lot of experience with technology or a teacher that's really into technology and everybody in between, um, for the most part, we have seen and been so pleasantly surprised with the open mind that our teachers have. And this is across the country. I mean, we work with districts as large as Miami-Dade and, and Cobb County and DeKalb County, as small as um, Hainesborough County in Alaska, um, all, all, over the, all over the board. And we have seen the teacher attitude be if kids will get this, if they are interested, I will figure this out for them. I will learn it if they are if they are wanting it. And um, that is a phenomenal lesson that we have learned. And, and it's a testament to not undermining our teachers. Our teachers are pretty great. We just need to support them. Um, so that, that's another one that we've seen about teachers. One more I'll tell you about students. Um, when we charge them to do something meaningful, they rise to the challenge. A lot of times, you know, and, and especially for, you know, for our current generations, um, there's this rhetoric, you know, in society around kids are lazy, they're, you know, they're not doing anything, they're just wanting to freeload. And um, 
if we challenge our kids, if we say, hey, this is something that we need to figure out, let's do it together, they will rise to that occasion. And I think the the opportunity is to create more of those challenges and more of those spaces where students feel like they have a voice, that they can do something that has impact and meaning, um, and they can truly follow it in a way that's comfortable to them. Um, they rise, they rise to the occasion. I'm so glad you brought it up because um, one of the things, and I have this book, the the so good they can ignore you in my in my mind all the time because I've I've been reading it for the past few days. Uh, but one of the things the author actually mentions is that the best way for you to develop the the mastery, right, is what he calls right, is actually by a idea of doing deliberate practice. And deliberate practice is basically that you're like practicing in a way that keeps you constantly out of your comfort zone, right? So it's always a little bit like further like than you can possibly do. So you always feel like, mm, I'm not going to be able to do it. But then you're able to do it because, you know, you just like apply yourself and you're, you're actually able to do it in the end, right? But that's that sort of like constant way of like keeping you out of your comfort zone by doing things that are harder than you think you can do is is the biggest i'd say lesson that i got from the book actually so i'm i'm so glad you brought it up so i'm curious to know as well if your entrepreneurial drive uh, of like starting new businesses and wanting to make a real impact in the world has always like been part of you like since you were young or when did that like spark or was that since always? Uh, it was not since always. I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I never thought I would start a company. I never thought I would be a CEO. Never. Um, it really, really, um, it really was a, a sort of a, an awakening that I had, not in terms of being an entrepreneur, but really in terms of wanting to figure out how I can help solve this problem for more people. Um, and, you know, that is, I think, a, an entrepreneurial spirit for sure. But I didn't know that that's what I had. I didn't know that's the kind of person I was. Um, I didn't go to the business school at Emory. I, you know, I don't have my MBA. That's, that's not at all what I thought of for myself. I just knew that I wanted to to impact schools in a, in a meaningful way. And so I had an idea and I talked to people and I tried to, you know, put, put some ideas together to try to figure out how to turn this into reality. By the way, I don't know how to code and I run a tech company. <laughs> and that's, that's something I say to students all the time, not to say that coding is not important. It's an essential thing. We couldn't do what we do without the amazing coders on our team, without the amazing coders that we have in the world. But we also couldn't do what we do without our designers and our testers and our marketers right. and our sales and all these things that come together. Right. So, um, I was lucky enough to talk to people and bring bring some of those ideas together and try it out and put some images and say, hey, school, do you think you would buy this? Um, and uh, and really, that's at the more I did it, the more I, I started talking to people, presenting at conferences, selling. Um, I realized that it was something that I, I did enjoy um, and it kind of grew from there. But uh, to answer your question in not such a short way, I absolutely did not think growing up that this is who I would be. 
I love these stories because it's not that predictable, right? Where you're going to be in like three, five years from now. It's like a question like I hear all the time, like whether like in interviews or like in how to prepare for interviews or things like that. And um, it's it's very cool to see like an example, like a real example of that, you know, of not, you know, planning everything step by step, like strategically and just like doing things that like happen to you and it feels right in a way. Yeah. And I actually, I will say that um, if I interview somebody and if I ask, which I don't, because I don't like the question, where do you see yourself five years from now, 10 years from now? I don't like that question. Sometimes I'll ask it just to see what happens. And if I get a response that is a really well thought out in-depth response, that's a red flag for me. That's a oh, red wow. flag. Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Because it tells me that that the candidate may not be open to new ideas, new paths, new opportunities. It tells me that they are extremely, extremely, yes, well planned out, but rigid potentially in their um, in their view of themselves. And that is not a agile entrepreneurial startup kind of personality that might work at a lot of companies for sure. sure. But yeah. um, for a company like ours, maybe not a good fit. Makes sense. Interesting question. I don't think I've ever heard someone considering a good response, something negative, but that's, that's very nice. Uh, very interesting. Can you share more about, I'm very curious to know more about the beginning of like your, I wouldn't say career, but like your, your ideas, right? Yeah. So I'll talk about Madlearn because I think that that's a really good example of how, how new companies should evolve. Um, I started with figuring out how we could build an app for a school. So it was sort of a, an operational thing. We were doing the coding and technology and giving it to a school, right? Um, but along the way, we went to visit schools and we talked to students and we asked them questions. Hey, how do you like the app that we made for your school? And have you used it? What do you do with it? Sort of customer you know, yeah. uh, interactions and, and understanding their, their feedback. And we realized, we kind of did a, a tour of, of a lot of our schools and we talked to kids all over the country and we realized that the questions that they were asking and the things that they were saying were really deep and cool. For example, um, why does my school app do this? I wish it could do that instead. Or I think that there were, a better way to do this would be if you put this over here and put this button here and that just would make it easier. Um, and we heard this kind of things from students all over the country and we came back and we put our heads together and we said, guys, we need to not be building the apps. We need to teach the kids how to do this. This is such an important thing that kids are clearly interested in. They're asking questions about, they're excited about. No one has ever, and again, this is, you know, Madeline's eight and a half years old. So this is eight years ago. Um, no, most kids had not been creating apps at that time or, or having that exposure in school. That's changing now significantly, right? We have phenomenal um, initiatives like Code.org and organizations like cs for all and um, that are bringing computer science into schools in, in amazing ways. Um, but that wasn't the case 10 years ago. And so um, that MadLearn came from students. It is very much a student-generated idea and concept and product. Um, and I think that's, you know, it, it's not 
a genius sitting there in isolation saying, oh, I think we're going to make this and let's make it. Um, sometimes that happens, but it's not rare. I think most entrepreneurs like me are good at listening and and really hearing what people are asking for, what their problems are, what their pain points are. How can we build something that is helping to alleviate that? Um, and that's all we did. We listened and um, we got lucky because the kids gave us a really good idea. And um, and it was something that we got really excited about at the team. And we, you know, reorganized things to make sure we could focus on this. And um, it's been a great journey. Yeah. Wow. Um, and before we wrap up, I want to ask one last question. So you've been doing all of these amazing things with MadLearn, inspiring a lot of uh, students and helping them. Uh, build their skills. I'm curious, like what your biggest dream is. It can be for MadLearn or for yourself, like personally, just like, what would you want to happen like in the future? I would, I would like to see a future where um, every student at every school, regardless of where the school is, unfortunately, there's a lot of discrepancies in our country around geography and zip code. Right. The kind of school that exists in one zip code may be very different than a than a school in another zip code. And so what I what I would like to see and my dream for our education system is for us to have every student in every school go through their 10 years of schooling, um, being exposed to some of the most exciting and cutting edge career opportunities that exist in our world at that time. Of course, that changes, right? That changes. What's relevant today is different than what was relevant 10 years ago. It'll be different five years from now, but they have the opportunity to be exposed in a safe environment in the classroom to what these different things are like. For example, going into space or, you know, being a hacker or being a coder or, um, you know, being a doctor, whatever those things are. Um, but having an experience with shadowing that, interning with that, experiencing that in the classroom so that they can really make some informed decisions in high school and college and after college for what they want to be starting their career with. And I say starting because what you start with may be different down the road and that's okay. Um, but I, I do believe that the, one of the big purposes of school is to prepare our students for life after school. And the way that we do that is to get them more exposed to industry, to companies, to cultures. Um, so I would love to see a world where all students had the ability to try a lot of different kinds of, um, careers, even in, even while they're in school and help that help, help them guide their college and career process in a much more meaningful way. That's awesome. Um, is there any last thing you want to leave our audience with? Um, I will say that, um, podcasts like this and people like Stefano are phenomenal people to have in the world. We need more (laughs) of them. So uh, Stefano, the final thing that I will leave you with is please stay in touch and and keep me abreast with your journey and your interests because um, I, I think that the work that you're doing is great, not just for yourself and your own experience, but for your audience. And um and I want to see how we can help in one way or another. Maybe you can come do a podcast for Madler and that would be fun. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Alefia, thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words and I really enjoy talking to you today. It was such a pleasure, Stefano. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoy the show, I would really appreciate it if you could share with anyone you think would enjoy it. 